We're in a series that we began last weekend that I want to continue today, and I believe that God's really going to speak to us. I, does anybody have um, just some faith this morning that God is going to speak to them, that he wants to communicate something to you, that you're not here on accident, but he has a word for you? I believe that that is the case. And um, we're in this series called Disciplines and Discipleship. Can everybody say Disciplines. Disciplines, and then can you say discipleship? Discipleship. And really the whole thrust of this series is that we would be the disciples of Jesus that he wants us to become. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, talk about, it's Jesus right before he ascends to heaven, and he says, go therefore, maybe you've heard these words, they're called the Great Commission oftentimes, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice that Jesus did not say to make converts. He said to make disciples. And there is a difference because sometimes we can almost fool ourselves into believing that we are a follower of Jesus, but we aren't actually growing in obeying him as our master and our our Lord, which is the process of discipleship. And Jesus said not to make converts, but to make disciples. And then he goes on to say, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, which learning to follow the ways of Jesus is a lifelong process. So if you're not where you want to be this morning, don't be discouraged because I don't know if you realize this when you signed up to start to follow Jesus, that you were going to get into a long-term project. (laughs) Anybody had a house renovation? You thought it was going to be a few months, maybe, maybe even six months, and like a year and a half later, you're still nailing nails into your stairs that go downstairs. My wife's parents, they have this house in Alaska that has been constantly in a state of being remodeled for their entire lives. <laughs> they call it the patchwork palace. <laughs> and that's kind of the process of following Jesus, is you signed up for a long-term, lifelong project where you're in the process of becoming more like him. And so through this series, we're looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about a controversial issue. Buckle up. But we wouldn't be faithful to be talking about being a disciple if we didn't address this subject, because Jesus actually talked about this subject more than almost any other subject. What am I talking about? I'm talking about money. Ooh, money. A church talking about money, right? Here we go. We hear that and we bristle, a lot of us, and some of us maybe justifiably so because maybe we've been in an environment where this has been abused or misused or not really taught from Scripture. It's really hard for me as a pastor. I'm not like really eager to go into this subject necessarily because I feel like it's like walking a tightrope and I could fall off on one side or another And there's one side over here that people are afraid of when churches talk about money, which is like, oh, the church just wants my money. All they talk about is money. All they care about is money. And they're going to do whatever it takes to just get more money. And so there's this kind of pitfall that you could fall off the tightrope from over here. And then there's this other side where churches who are afraid to be categorized like that fall into when they're like, well, we're just not going to talk about money. We're just going to, we don't want to be lumped in with that category. We've seen the abuse over there. So we're just going to not talk about it at all. But if we're going to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, and Jesus talked a lot about money, we have to be 
faithful to go over what he talked about. Does anybody have a $100 bill? Okay, Spencer, would you let me borrow it? Oh my gosh. Spencer, everybody, give it up for Spencer. This is actually going to be a really big part of this message, and I promise I'm going to give this. This I'm going to earn your trust. I promise I'm going to give this back. back. With that, I do get it back. You do. You do. I promise. Thank you, Spencer. Thank. This is an actual hundred-dollar bill. This was not planned. I mean, me talking about this was planned, but him giving this to me was not planned. I've called today's message. Show me the money. Show me the money. I, um, I actually had thought about trying to get a $100 bill and do this illustration, but I was like, you can't go to an ATM and get a $100 bill. You can only get like 20s or whatever. And then I was like, well, I can get, maybe I can get cash back at the grocery store. I called Shane this morning. I'm like, Shane, do you have a $100 bill? He's like, no, I don't have a $100 bill. <laughs> okay. Show me the money. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to start off today. My goal in to not fall off either of these sides on the tightrope is to just point you to the Bible. And I feel like if I can just point you to the Bible, then God can do what he wants to do. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, not verses 19. Sorry, we're going to go to the other section of verses in Matthew 6. We'll come back to these ones. Matthew chapter 6. I think it starts in verse 24 or 25. Okay, so if you, this is why it's so important to bring your Bible to church, because you never know if something like this is going to happen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, um, and, and maybe Shane will be able to get it up. We're going to go till t- verse 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Can we pray as we get into this? God, we just pray that you would open our hearts to receive this message from you and your word to us. Help us to understand what you want to communicate to us and and then to walk it out and to live it out in a way that transforms our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I just want to say that again. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, ne- they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day 
is its own trouble. Man, what a powerful collection of verses of Jesus talking about such a critical subject. Because if we're honest, money is such a big part of our lives, is it not? Does it not consume a lot of our attention, a lot of our thoughts, a lot of our plans, a lot of our worries? Money is oftentimes a dividing issue between couples. It's one of the leading causes of divorce. It's, it's something that drives us. It informs our decisions about the future. It's constantly on our mind. And yet Jesus' is, his command to us is he says, don't be anxious about this. Don't worry about this. And he points to an example. He says, look at the, the sparrow who, you know, he doesn't sow or reap or gather in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. And he also talks about the, the lilies of the field cl being clothed in more splendor than Solomon. It's like if you were to go out to a farm today, drive out into the rural part of Michigan, and you were to find some cows grazing in a pasture, I bet you would not walk up to a cow and just see it nervously fretting. <laughs> oh, don't know how we're going to pay the bills, guys. Is this field going to grow the grass back? It's cold out here. <sighs> Thank God for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd all be dead. They don't do that. They have no concern about the future. There's no animal on earth that you will find anxiously worried and fretting because God has provided what they need for them to survive and it's not even a thought on their mind. And God is saying, I want you who are of infinitely more value than the cows and the birds and the jaguars and all the other animals on earth. I want you to not worry like they don't worry. You're cared for even more than they are. See, our anxiety, a lot of it, a lot of our anxiety comes from a lack of belief in God's love and concern for us. Now, I'm not getting into clinical anxiety and depression. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the anxieties that weigh all of our hearts down at times. And in these issues, God says, do not be worried. God wants us to rest in his care. What is on your mind is on God's heart. And he wants you to be relaxing in the truth of that. My wife and I, we're currently looking for a house. And we unexpectedly have to move out of our house. We were told we had until a certain time. And then we were told, no, you don't have until that time. You have to move out. And it's like coming up really quickly. And we were not planning for this. And I am having to remind myself and my wife, and then sometimes she's having to remind me that we don't need to worry. God is going to take care of it. In fact, I think God's setting this up for the perfect scenario and result. I don't know what it's going to be quite yet. We're still figuring it out. I don't think we're going to be homeless. Like, don't. Uh, it's just this added stress of like, you know, you have a short period of time to find where you're going to live next. And, but I know that God has always provided for us. I know that God will provide for us. And whatever your situation here is today, God, it's on his mind and his heart. 
And before you ever ran into that problem, he knew it was going to happen. And he cares about what's going on and he wants to provide for you. So do not be anxious. The other thing I want to tell you this morning is don't chase the money. Don't chase the money. How many of us are spending our lives in pursuit of this? Like if we're honest and we drill down into our motivations, how many of us are making a vast majority of our decisions in life only based on this? And God says in these chapters, he says, don't chase the money. He says, your God knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added unto you. I, I, I would pass this mic around this room and I would say, okay, who in here has put God first and come in second? And no one would be able to tell me that story. I only come in second when I don't put God first. And I've seen him come through in miracle after miracle and ways after ways that I can't even describe to you as we've made a decision to put God's kingdom above all the other things that could drive our decisions and our motives and our thoughts. God wants to be first. I heard Seinfeld talk about the Olympics and how there's the gold medal, the silver medal, and the bronze medal, and how in these races, there'll be like, a tenth of a second or less that separates like the gold medal and the silver medal. These guys who, or girls who worked their whole life to get this far, and it's like this fraction of a second that separates them. And then here's the gold medal, and he talks about how like there's this photo finish, and be like, gold medal, silver medal. <laughs> Greatest guy in the world, never heard of him. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's like if you get it in second, it's like, oh, cool. You're like, you're like the second best at this in the world, but nobody cares. <laughs> the gold medal, because you want to be first. God wants to be first. He doesn't want any competition in your life. He wants to know that he is at the top of your priority list. And when you make decisions, the filter that you run them through, at the top of that is God. That's the first thing you think about when you make your decisions. Not the second or third or fourth or fifth or last. Some of us were just making decisions based on this. But I found if you don't chase the money and you chase God, that the provision that you need chases you. Now, I'm not saying like, oh, put God first, you're going to be a millionaire. That's not how it works. But put God first and he will provide for you. He will take care of all your needs. And I've found often, often, oftentimes he's blessed me way more than I expected or deserved. But the motivation is I'm putting God first. Because let me just tell you, this is a frivolous pursuit. It's temporary at best. It comes and it goes. And anybody who's had lots and lots and lots of this will tell you that ultimately if you're just trying to get this, it's empty. Like, if you were to talk to Elon Musk today, I bet he would tell you that he does not have enough money. I bet he would tell you that he wishes he could have a little bit more because he has a little bit more dream and vision. And even before he got into the Twitter world, he would have told you, 
you know, when he lost all the money doing that. He, he would have said, I, I, don't, I don't have enough to do what I need to do. I guarantee it. And Elon Musk was and still is one of the wealthiest people in the world. It was John Rockefeller, um, the, the famous American who was incredibly wealthy, who was asked, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. If you read the Song of Solomon, or sorry, not the Song of Solomon, but the book of Ecclesiastes, which Solomon wrote, who was arguably the wealthiest person who's ever lived in the history of humanity. If you were to take his wealth and put it in today's terms, it would be mind-blowing. It was, it was said in the days of Solomon that silver was treated like it was, you know, it, it was like something that you'd put to decorate like a, like a coaster on your table. Like silver was treated as nothing in Solomon's day because there was so much incredible wealth that he brought to the nation. And he talks all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes about how it's all vanity because he got everything he wanted and it didn't fulfill him this is a frivolous pursuit and the book of first timothy tells us this quite clearly it says for the love of money for, chapter 6 verse 10 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs I don't know the last time I've heard the word pang. <laughs> but it sounds like it hurts. And, and I have personally seen this in people's lives. Where they have had such a concern for money that it has driven them away from the kingdom of God. And it's, I'm not exaggerating. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of people that I know that have wanted more and more money and they have been consumed with a love of money. And it's taken them out of pursuing God's kingdom. It's taken them out of ministry. It's taken them out of God's plans for their lives. And they've been pierced because they found out, guess what? That doesn't fulfill. Only God can fulfill me. So are you going to use your money for what God has told you to? Now listen, I want to be clear. The Bible doesn't say that money is evil. I did, I, I did not say that. It says the love of money. It's about priority. It's about a place in your heart. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is amoral. It has no moral value. It's not good or bad. It's what you do with money, regardless of how much of it that you have. It's what you do with money that is good or bad. Does your money serve and bless other people? Does your money serve and advance the kingdom of God? Or does your money have such a stranglehold on your heart that it keeps you from those things? That's why Matthew 6, we'll go back to these verses. Matthew 6, 19, you heard Jesus say it. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's trying to say, you might think your money is secure, but even if it's in like a Roth IRA or it's stored securely in Switzerland, it's ultimately up for grabs. It's not secure because anything can happen. The stock market can take a dive. Somebody can decide to invade another country. Like a, a pandemic can sweep the world. And ultimately you are one day not going to be living anymore and somebody else is going to take your money. So don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you send your treasure on to heaven, you'll find that your heart becomes focused on heaven. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And then where your treasure is, their heart, your heart's going to be also. One day, you're actually going to be where your treasure was laid. If you have spent your life laying up for yourself treasures in heaven, one day you're going to be given those treasures, in a sense, back to yourself because you've laid up a foundation in eternity that you can do whatever you want with. But for some of us, we're just laying up ourselves all these treasures on earth and it's just like moth and rust and thieves and, and whatever unexpected bills and all these things that are just eroding our money away. It's, it's not a question of, is money good or bad? It's what you do with it. The way that, a way that I think you could look at it is it's like a sound mix. We have any audio engineers in the room? Okay, any, <laughs> any musicians? Okay, who likes music? <laughs> All right, awesome. So <laughs> we're working on releasing our first EP as a church and it's supposed to come out at the end of March. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I've already gotten, I've already gotten a couple of the songs back, um, and I'm, I'm honestly, like, really excited about them. I, I really feel that God gave us um, these songs, and I think that they're really going to bless um, our church and, and even beyond, and I, uh, I can't wait for them to come out. But uh, I've heard, like, I'm getting to know this process of making an album a little bit more. And when we recorded it, we actually recorded it here in this room. And we didn't even mix the sound for the room because we were just recording it to our computer into a board so that it could be mixed later. And so when I was listening to it in the room, I was like, okay. Uh, well, I hope this turns out well, you know. And then later when the, the mixer sent it back to us and I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's, it's beautiful because what the, the sound mix does, the person who mixes it, is he adjusts the levels appropriately so that everything is in the right proportion. So, so the drums and the bass and the lead guitar and the synth and the keys, they all come to a certain level. And, and usually in most mixes, especially for Christian music, the vocals have the, are the prominent feature and everything is mixed underneath the vocals. And, and so it takes kind of the forefront so you can hear what's being said. But then there's all these supporting instruments that just enhance the sound. And when you get the levels just right, it's amazing. But if you don't get the levels right and the drums are pushed all the way up and the bass and you're like, I can't even hear this. And now it just, it sounds like a mess. and It kind of sounds like chaos. It's because everything is out of proportion. That's the way that God wants us to deal with our money. It's not like money is unimportant. Don't get that idea. It's not like just, ah, whatever. 100 bucks, who cares? Leave it or take it, doesn't matter. It's not like money doesn't matter at all. I think if, if we walk away thinking that, we won't really be any better off in terms of how we handle our money. Money is important. It's just not the most important. And so if you adjust the levels and get the money underneath the vocals, 
so that it can enhance the ultimate sound of what's being put out there. It's going to enhance and bless your life and other people's lives if you get it underneath God, if you use it to serve God, if you use it to advance God's kingdom, if you put it in its proper place, it can unleash a lot of great things. It can unleash generosity. You know, generosity begets generosity. When people see someone else being generous, it inspires them to be generous. Did you know that generosity grows the kingdom of God? Like, you can literally be a part of growing God's kingdom through your finances. And it's incredible. Like, and it doesn't matter how much you make, if, if this is nothing to you or if this is a lot to you, you can still, in proportion in your life, give to enhance God's kingdom. And we all have a part to play in that, but we've got to get it in the right proportion so that it's not overriding other things in our life, that it should be subservient to. And the best way I think that we can use our money is to be a blessing to people, to help people, to help advance God's kingdom. But oftentimes we're just kind of aimless or we're not considering what we're going to do with it. And it just like, we don't even have a plan for it. It just is like, it comes and it goes. And, and God has allowed us to be stewards of whatever the amount is that we have. And if we are generous with it, I, I believe that God will to a degree, bless us with more to be generous with. And if our hands are open, the blessings can flow through to other people. But if our hands are closed, it's a stopping point. Hard to put a blessing in a closed hand. Easy to put a blessing in an open hand. God wants to be number one in all of our lives, but including our finances, because our finances are so attached to our hearts. Like, I, I believe that, uh, I, I heard a church once that they were like, you know, if our, if our leadership here doesn't like tithe or they aren't a part of giving to God's kingdom, it's like, I won't even actually put them in a position of leadership because how am I going to trust you with the most valuable resources, which are people, if you aren't being faithful with a less valuable resource, which is your money? And, and I wonder if God is like that with us sometimes, like, I would like to give you more but I just want to know I can trust you with what you have. And so this is something that reveals our hearts. And it becomes a test of what we're going to do with it. But we've never come second by putting God in first. There's this campaign going on right now. Maybe you've seen some of the commercials. It's called He Gets Us. They've played it during like the college football playoffs, the championships. Um, they're playing it at the Super Bowl. And it's these like really short 15, 30 second, 60 second commercials that are just like kind of to wet your taste buds for like, huh, I wonder who Jesus is. I, I like to like find out more about him. It kind of gets your attention and they're very professionally done. Most of the time I'm embarrassed of Christian stuff that comes out, but this I'm like, oh, this is good. Like, um, in fact, they're, they're looking for partner churches to be on the other end if people make a decision or they want to know more, like that they can connect them locally with the church that is going to tell them about who Jesus is and we're going to sign up for it and, and be a part of it. And if you're interested in that, let us know because we'd love to have as many people help with that as possible. But did you know that it takes money to make a commercial and then to present it at the Super Bowl? It's a little bit expensive. 
But the reason that these people are able to do it is because some very generous business leaders got behind this initiative and said, we want to give millions and millions of dollars because we know that ultimately our money is not about building an empire here on earth, but it's about advancing the kingdom of heaven. Do you see what can happen when we can be generous people? I mean, how many people are going to watch these commercials and what's God going to do with it? I, I, I don't know, but millions and millions, like other than the World Cup, this is the largest sporting event in the world, right? Or one of the top 10 sporting events in the world. And people are going to be finding out maybe a little bit of a different take on who Jesus is from what they presupposed about him. So let's be generous. I want to say this before we close. I want to say this, that some of us pursue money out of anxiety because we're worried that we're not going to have enough. And I think that that might even be most of us. And, and Jesus gives a lot of time to that in, in Matthew 6. And he was actually dealing with people in that situation, in that context, who were incredibly poor, who literally did not know, a lot of them, where their next meal was coming from. And Jesus is telling them, don't be anxious. A lot of us aren't in that position, but maybe a lot of us are in a situation where we're like, we're kind of living paycheck to paycheck, and if something happens that's an emergency, it's going to take us out. And, you know, we're kind of constantly making less than we need to be per month, and and there's all sorts of, even if you have a lot of finances, maybe you've spent it on a lot of things, and so you have a lot of bills. And so you're, a lot of us were worried because we just are pursuing money out of a sense of anxiety. But then there's those of us that are pursuing money out of a sense of trying to find self-worth. And we think our value is literally determined by the value in our bank account. And so if I were to line up a group of people here and say, okay, you make $40,000 a year, you make $80,000 a year, you make $100,000 a year, you make a million dollars a year. And the way that our society views that oftentimes is this person is more valuable than this person. And so we don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to be embarrassed. We want to have a sense that we are worth something. And so we're pursuing money out of a sense of, I want to be valued and valuable. And here's what I want to tell you today, is that that's not how God's economy works. God doesn't place the value on the person who has the most. And God would say, don't reduce your value don't you dare reduce your value to a paycheck. You're worth so much more than that. In fact, there is no amount of money in the world that could quantify how much you are worth. You are made in the image of God. You bear his mark on your soul. And that's worth more than all the money in the world. That's worth more than a house. That's worth more than a boat. That's worth more than a great vacation. That's worth more than being in the best social circles and having the highest status. You have God's DNA imprinted on the inside of you. You are valuable. You are worth something. You matter. You matter in this earth and you matter to God. And don't you dare buy the lie that you're inferior because you work at a restaurant. 
because you're a plumber, because you don't have the nicest car and the nicest things, and so you're constantly feeling inferior to those around you, that's not your value. Your value was determined before you were ever born. I preached on this verse for Christmas, and it just fits so beautifully as we're thinking about this. It says Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. When God looks at the list of people and how much they make, he doesn't view their paycheck or their bank account or their yearly salary. He looks at people and he says, you know how valuable you are to me? I paid the highest price to have you. I gave my only son for your redemption. No higher value could be placed on anything than the father giving the life of his son to purchase you willingly and out of love because he cares for you that much. Greater love has no one than this, that someone, a man, would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus did that for you. He looks at the list of people and God says, you were worth my son. I was willing to give his life for yours. So don't you dare doubt for a second God's love for you. Don't you think that you're worth more to him if you do X, Y, or Z because God's already predetermined what you're worth. You're a person created in his image and he gave his son to purchase you. No greater value can be placed on you than that. So, why don't we, as we become disciples and followers of Jesus, one of the values for us as a church is that we are generous. We are generous. And I want us to be the kind of church that's known for our generosity. That we love and serve and bless our city. That we give willingly above and beyond. Because generosity is not just like scratching the surface. That's not generosity. Generosity is being extravagant. It's going above and beyond because we want to be a blessing and we want to be of service and we've ultimately found the most valuable thing anyway. And so I pray that as we understand our value and as we open our eyes to the needs around us and as we are disciples of Jesus that we will put God's kingdom first above all else. And then as we do that, we will watch God bless us in ways that we didn't even know were possible. I told you, you never come second by putting God first. And I could just tell you story after story of times in my life where I've been called to obey God in a, in a financial way and I've seen him come through like in ways that blew my mind. I've told stories about how that's happened in our church and how we've taken steps of faith and generosity to give to ministries and in people in need and those around us. And God has always come through way more than we could have ever imagined at times. You see, if you connect your pursuit of finances 
to your purpose. That's a powerful combination. But if you make your pursuit of finances your ultimate goal, it's pointless. And so I want us to kind of be the kind of people who, you know, there's going to be different economic classes within our church. I, that's amazing. That's how it should be. Everyone is welcome here. Everyone is valuable here. Everyone is worth the same amount to God here. And we all, in generosity, can advance God's kingdom. And for some of us, God's given us an extra measure of blessing to be a blessing. But when we put his kingdom first, we watch him do the miraculous. And I pray that that is the, the describing characteristic of our church. Can we pray? God, thank you for your word. God, for some of us, the reason that we don't give is just because we're so worried. Like, we are so worried that if we open up our hands that you won't put it back in or that we're going to be lacking or we're not going to have something we need or, or we just really want a certain kind of lifestyle and for us to think about not doing everything that we had planned is just so hard for us. But God, help us to realize there's a treasure that's greater. There's things that are worth more. And ultimately, it's your kingdom that's worth the most and that you gave your life for. So help us to be people who are open-handed. Help us to be people who find our value in you and who serve those around us. As we're finishing today, before we close, I just want to give an opportunity, if there's anyone here today who has yet to receive the love of God, who has yet to truly understand what it means to become his son or his daughter and know the extravagant love of their father, who's maybe tried to find their worth, perhaps not in money, but in other pursuits. I just want to give you the chance today to say, I would love to experience who Jesus is. I, I would love to accept him into my life and find out what it means to be his follower, and ultimately his child. And if that's you today, then I would just like for you, very simply, to just raise your hand. There's nothing special or magical about this. It's not like you raise your hand and all of a sudden everything is perfect. But this is just a, a sign of surrender. Say, yes, I'd like to follow Jesus. I'd like to accept him into my life, and I'd like to start living for him. If that's you, I'm just going to count to three. I'd love to pray for you. You're here not on accident today, but on purpose and for a reason. One, God loves you. He has a plan for you. Two, you are created in his image and he gave his son for you. Three, just raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, for those who are making this decision, I want to lead you in this prayer. Just say this. And we're all going to pray it together just to show, hey, we are in this with you. Say this, dear God. I give my life to you. I accept you into my heart. Come into me and change me and make me new. Forgive me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Let's just celebrate those who are making that decision.